Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. excited that next weekend we begin the Blessed Life Simulcast right here from Gateway Church and I'm excited because of what God's going to do in your life. I really believe that if you'll listen and if you'll study the word with me, God will do something in your life and you will say, I have been forever changed by this sermon series. I'll see you next weekend. All right, next week we are starting a simulcast. Next week it'll be uh, Robert Morris from Gateway Church uh, piping in to here, and I'm excited about it. We're launching it on Father's Day, and we're doing that because how many, how many fathers realize that we have a responsibility to leave a legacy to our families? And, and we can leave any kind of legacy we want, and I think that some of the things that uh, Robert Morris is going to be talking about over this series are going to be important to us learning how to leave a legacy in our families, so that's why we're going to be launching it on Father's Day. Of course, I'll still be here, uh, probably preaching little mini sermons around his sermon. Uh, don't give me a microphone, but uh, anyway, uh, excited about that. Also, those of you guys who are with us for the first time, in the seat in front of you, there is a Connect card. If you'd take just a moment, fill that out. Really appreciate it if you do that for us, and you can drop it in the welcome at the welcome desk to some of our friendly folks out there on your way out. Really appreciate you doing that. We're going to pray and get started with the uh, Unmasked series number four today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the wisdom that comes from your word. And Lord, I, I pray that we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers, because the wisdom isn't just in the hearing, it's also in the application of the doing. And so today, uh, help us to see things a little bit differently uh, than maybe what our path has currently been so that we can unmask some other areas in our life that need to come down so we can uh, walk in more freedom. Lord, we thank you for that. I anticipate that happening in Jesus' name. Amen. Unmasked week four. Uh, how many of you guys are familiar with a guy named Gideon in Scripture? It's a pretty, I mean, it's one of the great stories of the Bible. Gideon, if you didn't know, we find him in the book of Judges. I believe it's Judges chapter 6 that we find Gideon. And Gideon is the least of the least of the least. Gideon is, the, is, the, is part of the, the family or the tribe that's the least of all the families. He's the least in his family, and he's the least even in his father's house. It just, he's the least of the least of the least. And their people are being attacked by a foreign army. And so he is hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. Now, a wine press is not where you thresh wheat, but he's there because he's trying to hide from the circumstances of his life. Now, how many of you guys know that whenever we live in fear, we want to control the circumstances around us? In fact, I could say it this way, that fear leads to control. Whenever you find someone who's afraid, you'll find them controlling their circumstances. And many times in our life, when we try to control the circumstances of our life, when we try to control what other people see about our life, you can always root it back to some sort of fear. Okay, if you look at 1 John chapter 5, 4, verse 18, it says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, if you have love, fear can't exist. But at, at the same time, if you have fear, love can't exist. And so in our life, if we're dominating and we're, our lives are dominated by fear, then there can't be genuine love in our relationships. 
And, and, and the, one of the markers of that is if you look at your life and you look at your relationships, and if you find that you're having to control so many aspects of it, you can trace it back to fear, which means there's no genuine love. Is anybody following me this morning? So this is a very important uh, topic for us to deal with. Now, my daughter, uh, my youngest daughter, uh, she's kind of having some uh, an issue lately with wanting to fall asleep or how that process happens. How many of you parents have gone through this before? And so she's got this process that she wants things to follow through. You know, we got to read a book. We're going to pray. We got to tell a story or something. And then when the lights go out, you know, she wants us to kind of wait by the door until she falls asleep. How many of you guys have been through this routine before? You're kind of, are they asleep? Are they not asleep? And, and so we've been trying to transition out of that because it's been going on for way too long. And, and of course, she's kind of giving us indicators that she's not happy about that. <laughs> and so what's going on? Somewhere in there, she has this fear that she's not going to be able to go to sleep by herself or that some, something is going to happen or some noise or some light or some fear of being able to go to sleep by herself. And so what does she try to do? She's tried to control the circumstances because of fear. Wherever there is fear, there will be control. Wherever there's fear, there will be control. It will, when people are afraid, they want to control. How many of you guys have experienced this in your life? When someone gets afraid, the next thing is, I've got to control. If you have a spouse that's controlling in the marriage, what is going on there? It, you can trace it back to some fear that they have, okay? If you have a kid who wants to be in control and they let you know that by throwing a fit about something, they want to be in control, you can trace that back to some fear. Maybe they fear that they're going to miss out on something, and so they try to control the circumstances. Maybe they fear that they're not going to be able to live the type of life they want to live or that's good for them in some way, however kid brain that manifests itself, it still manifests itself in control. Fear always leads to control. If you have a boss who's over-controlling and just really controlling, you can trace it back to some fear. Maybe there's a fear inside of them that they're not going to be able to make the company grow like they should, and so they control. Maybe there's a fear inside of them that, you know, the, the bosses over them are going to come in and, and, and try to, you know, that the production's not high enough. So wherever there's fear, it always leads to control. Maybe if you have a controlling boss, what that is is that maybe there's an ego out of, based out of insecurity, which is actually a fear. You see, so perfect love casts out fear. And you could say love casts out the fear, but also fear casts out the love. And whenever you have people who are afraid, you will have control. And so it's important for us to deal with this because how many of you guys know God's plan for our life is not to live in fear? God's plan for our lives is to live in freedom, right? And if we're going by our life that wherever fear is that we're controlling, if you look at your life and you find that you're controlling every piece of your life, you're controlling the image that you project, you're controlling relationships, you trace it back to fear because fear leads to control. God wants us to live in freedom though, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says this, Now the Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there, there is what? Freedom. And we all with unveiled face. So there's taking the mask off. We all with unveiled face we behold what? Can everybody say what we behold? Glory. We behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of what? Glory to another, for this comes from the Lord whose spirit. So we are being transformed into the image of God's glory. And I used the example a couple weeks ago about a caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly, right? So you start off with this Fat, ugly, slimy caterpillar 
and uh, that, that is not very pretty, and it goes into a cocoon, and it works out, and all of its guts turn to sludge, and it comes into, turns into a butterfly, and that looks like a totally different creature, doesn't it? But if we were to take the DNA from this and bring it back to a biologist, they would say, well, the DNA, this is, you may think it came from a butterfly. I'm saying it's a caterpillar. Or if you take it from a caterpillar and they would say, you know, this is a butterfly. Why? Because the DNA is the same at every stage of a development. The DNA is the same. Whether it's a caterpillar or it's a butterfly, the DNA strand is the same. And when we get saved, whether you look like a fat, hairy caterpillar spiritually, or you look like this butterfly spiritually, here's what I want you to know. You have inside of you deposited the DNA of godliness inside of you at whatever stage you're at. And you're outwardly being transformed from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory to the next degree of glory, depending on what's going on in your life and how that is actually happening. We don't automatically look like the butterfly spiritually. We're being transformed day by day. Now, If we want to see this transformation happen, here's the key. It does not happen in an atmosphere of fear. Transformation spiritually happens in an atmosphere of freedom. And and when we finally realize that transformation happens in an atmosphere of freedom, it begins to open up a whole new world. So here's the big thought for today. One of the main reasons we're not seeing freedom in our lives is because we're trying to control the flow of God in us. One of the main reasons we don't see freedom is because we're trying to control the flow of God in our life. Now, again, fear always leads to control. So if we are controlling the flow of God's work in our life, what is it that we fear? For some of us, we might not fear, we fear being good enough or not being able to make the cut or, or always screwing up or we fear our past or we fear a relationship. Fear always leads to control. And control is basically just pride, isn't it? Whenever we have control, it's because we're saying that I don't trust God to handle this. I got this. I, I, my way is better than God's way. That's what we, Whenever we control, it's about pride. In fact, the original sin back in the garden with Adam and Eve, when they sinned, it was about pride. In fact, all sin could be say, said that it's pride because it's all about my way versus God's way. And pride is a big deal. Pride is a trap of the enemy. And it's one of Satan's biggest traps. 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 6 and 7 says this. It says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into the snare of the devil. This is one of Satan's biggest tricks, is this trick of pride and control. And this becomes extremely important when we're talking about the masks that we wear and the relationships that we have. Whenever we're controlling our image and controlling our relationships, it's based out of pride. And Satan is one of his biggest tricks. How many of you guys would agree that we're very quick to point out sin and to punish sin that are external sins, like adultery? We're very quick to point out external sins. We're very quick to point out addictions. But we're not as quick to point out internal things that are harder to point our fingers on, like pride. And we kind of judge them on a scale, don't we? And you could have someone walking around completely prideful, controlling their life, and we wouldn't say a thing about that, but if there's somebody with an addiction, then we would say, oh man, those people are just falling away from God. And, and which one is worse, right? And so it is, Satan fell because of pride. How many of you guys know that? Satan fell out of heaven because of pride. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 16, it says this, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. 
How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Do you hear all this talk about Satan? He's always above, above, higher, higher, higher. It says, I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? You see that? He says, I will make myself like the most high. Pride is holding on to glory that belongs to God. Pride is holding, you could say it this way, pride is intercepting glory that should flow to the throne. That's what pride is. And this is exactly what Satan did. He intercepted glory that went to God. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. It lists all these stones, but skip to the last. It says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Very interesting verse here, talking about what Satan, of course, when he was in heaven, he wasn't Satan, he was the angel. Scholars and commentators will say that he was like the worship leader in heaven. But based on this scripture and, and many other thoughts, many scholars have thought that Satan, when he was originally created as an angel in heaven, as the worship leader to God, that he was actually built as a creature with these pipes, as it's saying in the scripture, these pipes built into his body. So that all of the praise that would come from all the angels would flow through the pipes that were built into him, and as a musical instrument, that praise and glory flowing through him would actually make music to God. And one day, he decided instead of letting the glory flow through him to the throne, that the glory from all of these angels should stop at him. And that when he decided to stop all the glory and to hang on to it instead of letting it flow through him, that that was the day that he got cast out. That's what pride is. It's whenever we stop the glory, when it, pride is intercepting glory that belongs to God. Whenever we hang on to the glory uh, that belongs to God, whenever we hang on to glory in our relationships that needs to go to God, we're intercepting what God, a lot of us, we have a, 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 a cartoon image of the devil, pitchfork and the you know, pointy tail and all that stuff. But he, he was much different than that, much different than that. And so Satan wants to try to get us to worship him. But I don't know too many people in this room who are going to say, well, I'm going to be a Satan worshiper next week, okay? But if he can't get us to worship him, what he'll do is he'll try to get us to be like him and withhold worship from God. And he's much more successful at that, for us to hang on to glory that belongs to God. And if he can't get us to worship him, he'll get us to hold on to the glory. And whenever we hold on to glory that belongs to God, we're headed for a fall. Now, Satan, many times you, you say, well, I'm not that prideful. I mean, I try to worship God and give glory to God. And I say, you know, I'm, I'm like the football player after winning the Super Bowl that says glory to Jesus or whatever. But how many guys know it's not always just bad things that pride gets root of, right? In fact, it wasn't a bad thing that Satan was dealing with when he got caught up in pride. It was actually worship to the throne. It was a good act. It was a spiritual act that he got caught up in pride. You realize that Satan can use spiritual things to cause pride to come into our heart. Like, I'm just such a great leader, and we stop the glory that should flow to the throne. 
Or, I'm just a great servant, and we stop the glory. It's a good thing. Oh, man, I'm just a, I'm just a, a, a great uh, you know, giver, and then we stop the glory. I'm a great defender of, of, of widows, or I'm a great teacher, or I'm a great usher, or I'm a great coffee person, I'm a great musician, or I'm a great, I'm great husband, or I'm a great, uh, you know, I'm a great person who, who I love to just be generous to everybody who comes along. How you guys know it doesn't have to be a bad thing? It can be, in fact, most often it will be good things that lead to pride, not bad things. And so it's a trap of the devil. And, and whenever we get caught up in this trap of pride, it leads us to control our circumstances. God opposes the proud. How many of you guys know that's a problem, that God opposes the proud if there's pride in us? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so, in fact, in his hometown, he couldn't even do any miracles because they, were, they just thought of him as the same. All right? So pride is intercepting glory that belongs to the Lord. Whenever we stop the flow of glory, pride has an opportunity to come in to make us fall. So here's where freedom comes in. How many of you guys would like to be free today? Maybe be free, unmasked, let go of some of the control. Freedom comes when we forget about our glory and we focus on his glory. Freedom comes when you forget about your glory in the workplace and you start focusing on what is God's glory happen in this workplace. Freedom comes when you forget about your glory in the relationship and you start focusing on what would make for God's glory in the relationship. Freedom comes when you stop... When you forget about your glory as a parent and how good, you know, what you're going to do with your kids, or, and you start focusing on what would it look like for God to have glory in this situation. You see, so many of us, we're controlling our relationships, we're controlling our, our, our friendships, our marriages, our, our kids, based out of fear. Parents with your kids, maybe you, feel, you fear that, oh, I'm just, I want them to grow up and be right, and I, I'm so afraid that they're not going to be right. And so we lead to control, and we try to control every part of them because we're afraid that they're not going to grow up right. Maybe we're afraid in our, rela- in our, in our marriage, and so we're, we're afraid it's just not going to be right, and so we try to control. We don't want to let anything out of bounds. Fear leads to control. Freedom comes when we forget about our glory, we start focusing on God's glory. Let me tell you one of the best ways that you can practice freedom in your life is by looking for it in someone else's. One of the best ways you can practice freedom in your own life is by releasing freedom in someone else's life. And by helping someone else take, out, take off their mask in their life. Let me recap something I talked about last week when I talked about faith. I talked about Many times in our life, we're not seeing God move in our life the way we want because our act is out of order. And we put the act in the wrong place. Wrong order number one is this. It's where we act, believe, receive. So we are jumping out and trying to act in a circumstance, hoping that belief will follow so that we can receive something from God. But here's the problem in relationships. Let's apply this to relationships real quick. What happens when you act, but you don't really believe? you're not going to receive. And here, here, let me just say it this way. I know sometimes we don't feel, how many of you guys feel like loving somebody all the time? Anybody just feel like, oh man, I just love my spouse all the time. And, and so what we'll do is we'll say, I don't feel like loving, so I'm not going to act loving. And, and it is true that it's the actions of love that lead to feelings of love. It's not feelings of love that always are present so that you act in love, but it is actions that lead to feelings. But what I'm not talking about today, I'm not talking about feelings and actions. 
Because how many of you guys know that feelings fade and actions tire? What I'm talking about today is what do you believe about other people? Not how you feel or how you're going to act. What I'm talking about is down to the core of what you actually believe about somebody else. Because we get it in the wrong order. We think, well, I'm just going to act loving and hopefully I'll feel loving. Well, we skip the belief part. Uh, wrong order number two is, is believe, receive, act. And so in our relationships, we think, okay, I, I want to believe the best, and now I want to see something from them before I'm going to act loving towards them. And that doesn't work either. God's order is this, believe, act, receive. The Bible talks about believing the best in other people. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what love is. Again, love casts out all fear. If we want to have love and not fear, then we have to believe the best. What do you believe about your spouse? What do you believe about your kids? What do you believe about other people in this church? Not how you're acting or how you're feeling. What do you believe? That's where the root of it all is. And walking by faith is when our actions start lining up with our believing, regardless of our circumstances. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of what? The glory of God in the face of Jesus. I love this next scripture. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Again, it's not us. It's not our glory, but it's God's. And so what we see here is we see the glory of God, the image of God packaged in a jar of clay. How many of you guys know if you look around to other people, the jar doesn't necessarily look that pretty, does it? The jar can look pretty dull and pretty scuffed up and pretty ugly right? And so many of us are focused on the jar instead of the treasure that's in the jar. And the Bible says that there's jars of clay, yes, but there's a treasure and it's the image and the glory of God. And our job is to unmask that glory. Now, I want to show you how, how an example of how we need to focus in on some things. So I'm going to show you a quick video. I want you to focus in, see if you can get the right answer, and then we'll take a survey at the end to see if you got the right answer to this question or not. So let's roll it. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? <laughs> All right, how many of you guys got the correct answer, first of all? How many of you guys got the correct answer? How many of you all missed the gorilla? How many of you guys missed the gorilla? All right, because it all depends on what you're focusing on. The same is true in our relationships. There can be a lot going on in our relationships. We can focus on the jar, or we can focus on the treasure in the jar. We can be on a treasure hunt and look for the glory of God on the inside. And, and how many of you guys know that God is calling us, if we want to release our, our control, if we want to release pride in our relationships, if we want to look for freedom in other people, we have to let go of those things and begin to look for the glory of God on the inside of somebody. How many of you guys know that it's not a spiritual gift to bring out everybody's dirty laundry, is it? But I know some people who think it's their spiritual gift to unearth everybody's spiritual dirty laundry. It's not a spiritual gift. What is spiritual, though, is when we reach inside that jar and we take hold of the image and the glory of God on the inside of people and we drag that up to the surface. How many of you guys have ever noticed something about somebody that you just didn't like at all? You're like, man, I hate that when they do that. How many of you guys ever have something like that? And then all of a sudden you're like, the reason I hate that is because I'm doing that myself. How many of you guys have ever had a moment like that? 
And all of a sudden, what you saw in somebody else was merely, the reason you noticed it is it caused you to see something in yourself, right? And if we do that negatively, here's what can happen positively. If you start looking for the glory and the image of God on the inside of other people, guess what you're going to start to see in yourself? You're going to start to see the glory of God that's in the inside of you. I believe that with all my heart. And so as we begin to do that, now, here's what begins to happen. There's something interesting that begins to happen. Uh, Larry Randolph said this quote. He said, look for the glory God has deposited. Let let me just back up just a second. I'm going to set this up because I want you to get this. In Exodus, it talks about honoring your father and mother, right? Which is a promise. You guys have heard that, one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. The word honor is the same word that we get for glory, And the word glory, that glory of God, the image of God, the weightiness of God's presence. Honor your father and mother. So how many of you guys, maybe you feel like, honor my father and mother, they're horrible. How many of you guys, now I'm not going to take a show of hands, especially if they're in the room. Uh, Kids, it's not, this is a test, okay? Uh, You say, my parents don't have anything honorable about them. There's no glory in them. The Bible still says to glory in them, to find the glory, that there's a treasure there somewhere in there it, whether it be the image of God, there's something redeemable in there. And, and we've got to focus on that and bring the glory. You, you may look at your spouse, you say, there's not much honorable there. There's not much glory there. The Bible still says, find the treasure in the jar. It's there somewhere. Lock, lock on to the image of God on the inside. You, you may say, my kids, I'm looking at my kids. It looks like the brain's falling out all the time. Find the glory. It's there somewhere. You may have to look a little bit longer, especially if you can't see their floor in their room like most of my kids. I have to, there's a floor in here somewhere. It's underneath all of your clothes, but it's somewhere in there. And, and so we've got to la- lock on to the glory. And here's what Larry Randolph said. He said this. He said, look for the glory God has deposited in the lives of your mother and father and lock on to that and drag it to the surface in your relationship with them. Look for the glory and the image of God in other people. Lock on to the glory and the image of God in someone else and drag that puppy to the surface in your relationship. You could focus on the jar all day long or you could focus on the treasure and you can lock onto that and you could drag that to the surface of your relationship and let that be what's dominant in your relationship. Reach in and see the deposits of glory of God's image of whoever you are, uh, whoever they are in Christ. Listen, I've heard it put this way, that whatever you hold on to from the previous generation, how many of you guys know, how many of you guys are expecting an inheritance maybe from your, your parents one day or some money? We think of inheritance as money, don't we? We think of inheritance as stuff. Whatever you lock on to from your previous generation will be your inheritance. If you lock on to unforgiveness from your parents, it becomes your inheritance. If you lock on to an offense, from the previous generation, that's going to be your inheritance. If you lock on to an injustice from your parents, that's going to be your inheritance. But if you lock on to the glory of God from the previous generation, you lock on to the image of God in, inside of someone, that can be your inheritance. Whatever you lock on to becomes your inheritance. But listen, guys, those of you guys who have kids, also whatever you lock on to in your children becomes your legacy. If you want to lock on to this idea of, I don't know if they're going to make it, or I hope they're going to do good, or what. That's going to be your legacy. But if you can look on the inside of your kids and you lock on to the glory of God, the image of God on the inside of that jar of clay, that becomes the legacy that you're going to leave to them. I remember years ago now, one of my kids had screwed up big time, big enough for it to be a dad moment, wait for dad at home moment. How many of you guys have had those, right? 
So they're waiting at home, and I come home, and I have to come in, and they, you know, they're sweating bullets, and they're, you know, what's going to happen, and my life is ruined, and, you know, all this stuff. And so I came in and sat down. Of course, we had to bring a corrective path, but I spent most of my time, not in the correction, I spent most of my time talking about the future and how it's bright and how God has a plan and how there's hope and how there's grace and how God is bigger than any one moment. And what I did in that one moment is I locked on to the image of God on the inside of them and I drug that to the surface of that situation. And I'll never forget the look of surprise and wonder and hope that fills up on, the, on their face whenever that happened. Like, really, is that possible? That we can lock on to the glory instead of the problem? I believe that's what God does with us. In fact, you see Jesus as this example where Peter, how many of you guys know that Peter in Scripture, he's just a screw-up all the time. And then there's this moment in Matthew chapter 16 where, where uh, Jesus is asking, well, who do you guys think I am? And then finally Peter gets the right answer, and Jesus looks at him and says, you know, Peter's a screw-up, right? And he looks at him and he says, all right, Peter, it's on this rock that I'm going to build my church. I want you to know it wasn't on Peter's jar that God was building the church. Jesus locked onto the revelation and the image of God on the inside of Peter, and he pulled that to the surface, and he says, I'm going to build on that. What would happen if we built our relationships on that? What would happen if your marriage was built on not the jar, but if you could reach in and grab the treasure and drag that to the surface? What would happen if, if it wasn't based on, your relationship with your kids wasn't based on their behavior and you weren't so afraid of how they behave? Listen, it, it's possible for us to parent concerned more about our reputation than our relationship. And when that happens, we're, lo we're locking onto the jar. We want the jar to look pretty. Instead of locking in on the relationship with God on the inside and pulling that to the surface. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, So you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you realize that you are saints when you come into Christ? And what we're doing is we're dragging the saint to the surface. You aren't just a sinner barely saved by grace. You are a saint that sometimes sins. Come on, can somebody get a hold of that? You're not a sinner that's just, oh, I'm just banging on. I'm just barely hanging on. I'm just, oh, I'm just a broken jar. No, you are a saint that sometimes sins. That's, according, that's what the New Testament talks about. That's the message of grace in the New Testament. And whenever we look, lock in on the saint inside there and we drag that to the surface, whenever you lock on the saint of your identity, you drag that to the surface, all of a sudden you can fly at a whole new level than what you were walking at before, right? That's what God is calling us to do, to look for deposits of glory. Back to Gideon. The angel of the Lord comes to him, and here he is hiding in the wine press. Somewhere between hiding in the wine press and conquering enemies, an angel of the Lord reaches down and latches on to the image of God on the inside of him and says, you mighty man of valor, I'm going to pull that to the surface. And Gideon rose up and he said, yes, sir. And he became who God called him to be. I believe as we let go of control and we allow the freedom of God's glory to flow through us, and we begin to let that come to the surface, that we'll see the mask come off in our life. Can you guys stand up? i got one question as we close. One question. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, if you would, to cut out as much distraction as possible. And I just want to take just a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And I, I want you to, to see if there's maybe a name or a face that comes to mind that you'd acknowledge in your life that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you Someone that you need to see that relationship go from fear to freedom.
Maybe you've, caught, you've been trying to control the situation, tried to control the relationship, and you find right now that you've been locking on to the jar instead of the treasure in the jar. And whenever the Holy Spirit speaks, I found it best to respond in some way. Maybe that means to release something, to surrender something, to allow some instruction to come or a response. Forgive. Whatever it is. It may give you instruction as what to do to bring healing. It may give you an approach, a strategy to latch on to the image of God, the glory of God on the inside of them. And to let your relationship go from that of fear, which is control, which is ultimately pride, to that of freedom, where God's glory can rise to the surface. Lord, I pray right now that you give us revelation, strategy, forgiveness, whatever needs to happen, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to come into our heart to change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we're going to do the simulcast. It's going to be kicking off next week. One more quick announcement. Those of you guys who are part of the 50-plus crowd, we have a banquet June 25th, 6 p.m. right here at the church. It didn't get into our announcements, but I'm making the announcements now. So June 25th, 6 p.m. at the church. Here's the, here's the important part. RSVP by June 17th. So just find a way to get connected here at the church. Email in or call in and RSVP June 17th. Love to see you then. Uh, next week, looking forward to it. We'll see you then. You're dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.